Alrighty, everybody. Welcome back to the Rare Petro Podcast. Today, we've got you another episode of Monday Madness. Today, December the 14th, and we are so close to the end of the year, coming up on a big break for a lot of people. So to those students listening to this, hey, let's finish up strong. You're almost done. Got to be pretty close to getting through finals at this point. Gunner, if you're listening, good luck, man. One of our Rare Petro Associates. Also, professionals preparing for the holidays, too. I know we've probably got some projects wrapping up and little bit of a break coming up that we're excited for so again let's get through this we're almost there and let's get to 2021 which will likely be a much better year for oil and gas but you didn't come here to listen to me break down our audience demographics or even wish our associates good luck on finals you came here for the news so of course we begin like we do with the metrics so WTI prices had a stellar recent performance. Two weeks ago, it began to climb, and last week, it remained at about $46 to $47 a barrel throughout the week. As markets were closed until this morning, it actually reached a value of $47.34 before dropping a whole dollar at market open. After that first initial plummet, it seems like there is still a small climb starting out the rest of the day, so I would likely attribute that drop to the bearish investors selling a decent bit after that value of oil climbed through the weekend. Regardless, falling to 46.19 ain't too shabby, considering where we came from just a month or two back. Hopefully the times of $35 barrel oil are behind us for the near to extended future. But next up, the US rig count is absolutely popping off. I'm talking about a 15 rig increase for the end of last week. That is tied for first as the largest rig increase in 2020 since the week ending on January 17th. Let me repeat that, January of this year. The difference between then and now is that the January increase came right after a 15 rig decrease the week before, resulting in, well, a net zero gain. But at present, the past three weeks have shown a 28 rig increase. That's progress, baby, and I am absolutely stoked to see a continued increase in activity, likely supported by the climbing prices. The biggest winner, of course, was the Permian with a four rig increase, which is a minimal percentage change. But the surprise to me was the silver medalist of last week. The Eagleford gained three rigs for a total of 26 or a 13% increase. This is a much-deserved win for the Eagleford. If you listen to the November episode of the Basin Breakdown coming out later this week, and the ones before, you would know that more and more super majors are bailing on the Eagleford every day. This is usually because they plan to focus on assets in what would be considered more profitable areas like the Permian. But rather than spoil all of the other good content we produce, I highly encourage you to go to rarepetro.com to read or listen to all about that, in our many pages of periodicals and many hours of podcasts. Big props to the Eagleford for this significant jump in activity, and even bigger props to the U.S. for not being too afraid to start up some new projects. Unfortunately, all of the fun of the good metrics I've presented thus far will be sucked away by inventory reports. When writing the script for this episode, I found the EIA reported an unusually large build for the report released on December 4th. 15 million barrels to be exact. You heard that right. 15 million barrel build. The API reported a large build as well, but I couldn't quite wrap my mind around the EIA's numbers, so I did a little digging. Turns out the US net imports rose by a record high of 2.7 million barrels per day. This led to the US Gulf stocks being boosted by 11.8 million barrels, which is the most in one week ever. 2020 really is the year of broken records for oil and gas, just not in the way that we would like to see it. I can't really explain the reasoning behind this huge rise in imports as market indicators seem to say that this shouldn't happen especially for refineries. I would argue that refineries are in one of the worst positions in the oil and gas supply chain, as many have had to close down or modify practices in an attempt to serve some demand worldwide, 
so it simply doesn't make sense why so much was imported. My own speculation and gut justification is that it has something to do with the fast approaching end of Q4, but I can't quite be sure. I will be sure to update you on this metric in future episodes of Monday Madness, so again, be sure to follow and subscribe. But that is enough of the metrics for this week, and it is high time we move on to some of the news stories. The first one is pretty small in scale, but was still interesting enough, so I'd like to bring it up. Innovex Downhole Solutions is a company that sells drilling equipment in the Houston area. One of my favorite things about working for a small company, or any team for that matter, is the pride that we all share in common. And what better way to express that than through swag? I love sporting my long sleeve Red Petro t-shirt around because I like my work, I'm proud of what I do, and it's a good conversation starter. Innovex Downhole Solutions sought to express their pride and reward their employees in a similar way by ordering 400 embroidered North Face jackets for Christmas. Turns out the North Face is the mean old Uncle Scrooge of Christmas as they rejected the business, claiming they don't support the oil and gas industry in the same way they would reject the porn or tobacco industry. I can't make these statements up anymore. Innovex CEO Adam Anderson said, quote, My first reaction was that I was stunned. I'm very proud of what our industry does, and I feel like our industry and the virtue of our business is just poorly misunderstood by folks. End quote. Mr. Anderson does have a point. We all know about oil and gas vilification, but the industry does provide an essential commodity that we use for our enhanced comfort and operations within our infrastructure. For example, North Face products are often made of synthetic fabrics. Synthetic fabrics are usually polymers. Polymers are plastics made from petroleum products. I mean, that, that is the biggest irony of North Face's stance. They are an industry that is supported by the oil and gas industry. We enable them as producers, explorers, researchers to make the products that they make, regardless of how recycled they are and used, it still comes from a basis of petroleum products. Adam Anderson highlighted some of these points in a letter to the North Face's CEO, citing improved quality of life, decreased deaths due to environmental and non-environmental catastrophe, and decreased carbon emissions through energy consumption over the years. Oil and gas has established the groundwork of excellent energy usage and storage, but we are aware of how the world views this industry. I also want to be clear, I'm not upset with the North Face because any business is allowed to conduct business with whoever they would like to, so they are completely in the right here, but it does come off as largely ignorant. Now for some actually impactful news. We've got a story from China. China has been importing more and more oil, building more refineries, and generally consuming lots of hydrocarbons. Like any country, it wants to become more energy independent, and its greatest weakness right now is in the gas sector. In 2010, natural gas imports were only responsible for 15% of China's natural gas supply, which is not too bad. Now there's a worldwide increase in demand for energy both domestically for China and abroad for their neighbors. On top of that, the United States has been producing a significant portion of the world's natural gas thanks to opportunities opened up by hydraulic fracturing. China's geology makes hydraulic fracturing a little bit more difficult than other parts of the world, and this combined with all the previously mentioned factors means that imports now account for a greater 45%. 15% wasn't bad, but supplying nearly half of your natural gas supply with imports is a bit frightening, especially for China. In recent years, China has been trying to incentivize developers to come in and produce gas stored on China's territory. The most recent and perhaps impactful developments have extended the period of exploration from three to five years, and allowed companies from any part of the world to operate as long as they have an office registered somewhere in China. Not sure who exactly this will attract in the near future, but it makes the logistics of foreign operators getting in and producing much easier to comply with. In the past, one would have to form joint ventures with a domestic Chinese company in order to do just about anything. 
Even if this doesn't drum up business the way China has planned, local efforts from PetroChina announced additions of 26 trillion cubic feet of gas to its shale gas reserves, so definitely going to be something interesting to watch into the future, but that's all I've got for this story. Next up, we've got a story from the UK, and I think that's a first for this podcast. The UK will be the first G20 country to end all overseas oil and gas funding. Boris Johnson pledged this to the United Nations over the weekend in hopes of proving that the UK will have an influence outside of the EU trading bloc. Not only this, but there was large backlash from the people when it was discovered that the government carved out $1 billion in financial backing for gas fields in Mozambique. There will be, quote, very limited exceptions for gas-fired power plants and other projects within strict parameters that accord with the Paris Agreement, end quote. Johnson has also expressed how he hopes for improved relations with President-elect Biden as the U.S. is looking to rejoin the Paris Climate Agreement. The new policies are expected to take effect in November 2021, providing companies with less than a year to work towards a solution for this change. Companies like Siemens AG and General Electric have benefited from UK backing for projects in Ghana and Iraq, but now all of that changes. Seems like this will open up opportunities for those who are not interested in joining the Paris Climate Agreement to pick up some property and infrastructure in the near future. And ladies and gentlemen, that does bring us to the end of this week's Monday Madness. Please leave those reviews. Let us know what you really liked because we're out here producing content that we think you want to consume. I know you're learning a little bit more every day, so keep learning with us. Go to rarepetro.com, browse through all of the other content, or simply follow or subscribe to this podcast so you are updated whenever a new episode comes out. And let me tell you, they come out frequently. So let's get through the last of this month. And until we see you next time, take care, everybody. Take care, everybody.